What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a hoop ball presentation. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the Pelicans Cast, brought to you by HoopBall.com. We're providing in-flight insight for all Pella fans out there. I'm your host, Nick Garisco, and as we discussed in last week's episode. Our usual Pelicans expert and my co-host, Michael Pelache, is on a two-week mission trip in Spain. Apparently, serving the community is more important than our Pelicans podcast, but nevertheless, this week I am joined by special guest and longtime Pelicans fan, Patrick Fees. You can find him on Twitter, at Pat Fees. I'm at Fantasy Law Guy. And since our last episode, the Pelicans have had three games. We upset the Denver Nuggets at home in a convincing fashion. It was a surprising win, and it was our first win of the season. And then we failed to carry that momentum into Oklahoma City on Saturday, losing that game 115-104. to And then on Monday, we played the Brooklyn Nets and lost by 10 despite a huge game from Brandon Ingram. I want to get to all of the problems that the Pelicans are having as a 1-6 and team and whether or not they can be fixed, whether or not we should start panicking, and what we think about average entries rotations and a couple of the players disappointing. But let's, talk, let's start with a positive note, Patrick, here. Let's, let's talk about uh, we saw a little bit of Brandon Ingram's ability to score last season with the Lakers when they kind of packed it in and LeBron started resting. And Ingram kind of showcased himself as the primary scorer there. But I think a lot of people, including myself, didn't think, at least from a statistical perspective, that it would carry over to New Orleans. Uh, Patrick, what's making Ingram so effective here? First of all, I just want to say I am not surprised. uh, Not at all surprised with how Ingram's been performing. I mean, coming out of Duke, he had the comparison was Kevin Durant. But, I mean... 
Brandon Ingram is not Kevin Durant. His free throw shooting is not nowhere near as Kevin Durant, and there's no Kevin Durant's. But like you said, when the Lakers were kind of packing it in towards the end when LeBron was on the shelf with that groin injury, Ingram was putting up pretty similar numbers to what he's doing now until he himself was shut down with the blood clot issue. So I'm really not all that surprised. Now, did I think he'd be scoring 25, almost 26 points a game? No, but I, this is not really all that surprising to me. The surprising part to me is his efficiency and his percentage from three. He's right now shooting 55% from the floor and 48% from three, and that's on five attempts, three-point attempts per game. And to put that in perspective, his previous career high in three-point percentage was 39 and his previous career high for attempts in a game was 2.4. And that was all the way back in his rookie season. Right. So I he think, has... Yeah, I think yeah, that go ahead. what's happening here is is pretty odd because Brandon Ingram actually just dropped 40 points on the Nets. I mean, that's why we're talking about him here. He was 17 to 24. We're, we're, we're talking about efficiency stats and how he's been so efficient. And in those 40 points, he only actually made one three-point shot, and he only took three. Right. And that's kind of what we expected out of Brandon Ingram. That's kind of actually what he was doing with the Lakers from deep, even during his great span at the end of last season. But prior to the Nets game, Ingram, you said he's averaging you know five-point-something assists. I mean, sorry, three-point shots now. But prior to that game, he was averaging seven three-point shots a game, which is crazy i'm wondering you know he also had five boards five assists and two steals in this game michael pelache tweeted and called him a walking bucket today <laughs> after reviewing the game i'm wondering if now because of all of these pelicans are hurt you know zion williamson's been hurt Derek favors is dealing with hamstring issues i'm wondering if brandon ingram's just kind of thriving because he's in kind of a similar situation as he was last year with L.A. when all of those players were hurt. Exactly. I think that's exactly what's going on. And another thing to keep in mind, all those stats you just rattled off about his percentages and attempts, he also only played 13 minutes in the Oklahoma City game because right. of that head injury. Right. Thank God it wasn't a concussion. But, I mean, that's still, you know, that's going to uh, torpedo some of his stats, but it hasn't really mattered because he's still averaging 25 points per game. And the biggest thing with him is he's scoring from everywhere. Like Michael said, a walking bucket. I mean, I don't know if Michael will like this too much, but he reminded me a lot of Carmelo Anthony. I mean, just right. the, the way he was scoring, he was getting the mid-range. Like you said, he only took the three three-point attempts, but he did make the one of them. But he was driving to the paint at will. He was scoring high-difficulty shots, turnarounds in the paint, mid-range game. They were... Those shots weren't easy, and he was making them look very easy, silky smooth, just like a Durant shot. You know, it's just, it's been awesome to watch. Yeah, and he's only 22 years old, which is awesome because he's now, at, at the t I mean, at the time of the Anthony Davis trade, I think a lot of people kind of saw uh, Lonzo Ball as just as valuable, I guess, as Inker, but now, at least in terms of a career upside, it's really looking like Brandon Ingram might be the centerpiece and the focal point of that trade. And now it kind of looks like, or at least Pelicans fans are talking about, the idea of building around 
Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram as a duo, as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe Lonzo Ball and maybe Ingram being more of a role player. I mean, there was a lot of talk going into the season that Ingram was going to be the first player off the bench. And now it's just maybe that fits stylistically if everybody's healthy, but just kind of saying it out loud kind of seems ludicrous because Ingram's been honestly our best player. Right. He really has. I mean, he he has to be in the starting lineup now. At first, right. in the beginning of the season, like everybody else, I was saying, you know, maybe Ingram, because of the way he plays, yeah, he can be, style. you know, isolation. Yeah, he can be a lot of ISO-style plays, so maybe that would be better to carry, you know, the bench unit. But I'm sure we'll get into this later. The bench has been awesome especially guys like Josh Hart, J.J. Reddick contributing as well. But, I mean, I just think you've got to put him in there. And I was always of the camp that Brandon Ingram was definitely the biggest get in the Anthony Davis trade. Not even close to me. The only thing that was holding him back was that blood clot issue. Because we all saw how that, you know, what happened to Chris Bosh when he had a similar injury. But luckily, it looks like... Ingrams was just a one-time occurrence, and he looks to be in the clear in terms of anything reoccurring from that. And I mean, I kind of I thought this, you know, when the discussions, the trade discussions were happening, but I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to get screamed at by you know people like Pelichay. But I thought that Ingram, if he had a clean bill of health, would be a better player and better get than Jason Tatum. Wow, yeah. I mean, Jason Tatum at the time, you know, I was actually, uh, I was actually kind of not. I don't want to say I was not on board for Jason Tatum, but I never really saw him as like the overall prize possession that everybody else did. I thought it was concerning that he kind of regressed in his second season, and uh, everyone was kind of chalking it up to him being young and and all these other things. But I, I just didn't like seeing that. I kind of like players having a pretty steady career arc and Brandon Ingram seems to be getting better every season. Uh, now it seems like when the Pelicans need a basket, because that was something that was, I don't want to say it was a question mark. I, actually, I don't want to say it was concern going into the season. It was more like a question mark is like in clutch situations, right? Like when the mm -hmm. Pelicans late in games and granted, we have not been able to close late games. Uh, but Late in games, now it kind of seems like Brendan Ingram has maybe even surpassed Drew Holiday as kind of our go-to guy just when you're looking for you know a basket. Not saying that Brendan Ingram is a better player than Drew Holiday despite Drew Holiday's slow start, but just I am kind of suggesting that when the Pelicans need an offensive basket most, we are kind of looking to Ingram more through Drew, and I'm not really sure what Drew's really going through. If you, if you want to discuss that real quick, I, I don't really... I don't know if it's a shooter slump. I don't know if he's being more passive because of the way Ingram plays. What's your take on Drew Holiday's slow start this season? So I think it has to do with a number of things. But most importantly, I just think he's just been through a little bit of a slump. His defense, while he has had some mental lapses, I've seen him leave a few corner shooters wide open when he's trying to, when he's trying to pinch and cut off a driver going to the rim. But overall... If you look for a percentage as to the guys that he's guarding and what they're putting up, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, he's still the same Drew Holiday. 
It's just the offense, for whatever reason, has taken a little bit of a backseat, and it's taken a little bit longer for him to get going. And, uh, and I do think a lot of that has to do with, A, the rotations, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, and B, just playing with a whole bunch of people that he hasn't played with before. In, a, in an actual competitive NBA game. You can say what you want about preseason, but it's preseason. I mean, in the first, you know, when there's live bullets going, this is the first time he has ever played with basically yeah. the entire starting five. Yeah, tw- uh, 12 of our 18 active players were not Pelicans last year. I mean, that that's <laughs> right. the stat. So, I mean, that's it's actually pretty crazy there that, uh, you know, Drew Holiday... You know, it's gonna, it's gonna. I wouldn't say it's crazy, but it's gonna take some time for it to get going. The Pelicans fans need to have patience there. I would say with Drew Holiday, you know, you don't just lose your basketball ability overnight. I don't think that, you know, he's, you know, past his prime by any means. I think that he's gonna get out of this, but I also don't really know if he meshes well offensively with Ingram, if that makes sense. And and the reason I say that is because on that Oklahoma City game, when Ingram did leave uh, because of the uh, concussion-like symptoms and the migraines, uh, Drew Holiday, he started the game, I think, one for seven. And then he had a great – it was actually probably his best offensive half in the second half there when Ingram was out. Now, I'm wondering if that was just because you know somebody had to score. But I think the craziest part about all of this is that the Pelicans, despite Drew's offensive struggles, and you'd think, you know, Drew's obviously our best player right now. Uh, well, I don't know about right now, but he's our is best he? player yeah. overall. <laughs> um, you would think that, you know, if I told you going into the season that Drew Holiday is going to be struggling offensively, what is he averaging per game, like 15 points a game? I uh, think, it, yeah, it's around and, 13 or 14. And not shooting very well at all. You would think he's been very passive, too you would think that the Pelicans would be struggling to score. But scoring really has not been an issue. I mean, every time that you, even if you're a casual Pelicans fan, and you just look at these box scores, we're dropping, you know, it almost seems like we're dropping 120 a game. We're we're not losing because we can't score. And that's kind of the, we're definitely not losing because we can't shoot threes. So that's kind of the interesting part about this, is that despite Drew's offensive struggles, the, the team has picked it up offensively, and Drew seems to be the only player really playing. I don't want to say only player, but one of the only players playing. No, you can say it. Great. You can say defense. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. so, That's the issue. Yeah. It's it's encouraging that you know even with Drew struggling a little bit to his standards, we're still like you said dropping 120 points a game. The problem is. It seems like we're giving up 150. Yeah, Obviously, that's not the case, but yeah. that's what it seems like. And it just seems it's not like some teams like Kyrie Irving, for example, with the Nets game, Kyrie Irving's going to make tough shots. That's yeah. that's what he's paid to do. That is Kyrie Irving. He makes difficult shots, looks easy, and you. it's almost it's just you know they're going to go in right when he lets it go. But the discouraging part is the just wide open layups, no you know contesting at the rim, and then you've got – I remember two or three times from the game last night against the Nets 
that Joe Harris, the NBA leader in three-point percentage, yeah, is just shooter. sitting there marinating all by himself on yeah, the three-point line. That's no one, no I mean, one around. Joe it Harris, is. that's all he does. That's all he does. He's, he sits back and he just waits for three balls and and you know he sinks them more often than not. So it's like, so it's really interesting. I wanna I wanna piggyback off this because I don't know if you're aware of this statistic here. And I actually found this in the research for this podcast today. I actually found this on the deepest, darkest corners of uh, Pelicans Reddit. Okay, so you know I don't know how reliable here it is. And I actually wish I I actually wish I had the guy's username so I could give him credit. But uh, would you believe it? If would you believe this creepy guy on Reddit? No, I'm just joking. Would you believe it <laughs> if I said that the Pelicans um, teams playing against them are first in layup rate, second in layups converted, sixth in dunk attempts, fifth in dunk success rate, and they are also second in attempts within three feet from the basket at. Uh, I think it is 0.353 per possession, and the league average is 0.28, which is, I know it doesn't sound like it's a big, that is a lot. That is a huge statistic there. Uh, the league average being 0.28 baskets within three feet per possession, and we're giving up 0.353. So all of those things, which is allowing first and layup rate and all of those things I said, did, did any of that surprise you? No, that does not <laughs> surprise me at all. Just by watching the Pelicans this season, I'm actually surprised they're not dead last in every single one of the categories. Yeah. It's just been abysmal watching them trying to defend, I mean, I was going to say driving layups or yeah. you know shots in the paint, but it's abysmal watching them play any kind of defense whatsoever. Right, and it, you kind of saw it in the opening game and like we don't want to overreact on the opening game here against the Raptors here but what was the thing we couldn't stop Fred Van Vliet driving just he dropped 30 on us yeah I mean just constantly driving we couldn't stop it and at the time I'm thinking like okay Van Vliet's just having you know he's picking up where he left off in last year's playoffs like he's just ridiculous some of these drives that he was doing you know some of these baskets he was converting were very difficult like it's not like you know uncontested layups like he was he had a great game but then it just keeps happening over and over again and yeah Kyrie Irving yeah you're gonna let that stuff slide but then when you look at the whole season yeah it's a seven game sample size but wow I mean we are really really poor in allowing these layups and I don't know if it's a defensive thing in terms of like maybe our it's a systematic thing or a scheme thing where uh maybe we're kind of allowing teams to drive inside hoping that there will be support there I know obviously part of it is favors not being himself or not being healthy whatever his problem is obviously not having favors there not having Zion Williamson as a shot contester too is is a big problem usually it's just a combination of all of these things but do you think that – let's kind of talk about the Pelicans' problem before we get into the games. Do you think that that, like the idea that we're not uh, – interior defense, I should say. Do you think interior defense is the biggest problem on the Pelicans' roster right now? I I do. That's my opinion of what the problem is. And like you said, Derek Favors has not been right. Yeah. 
it seems like all season. I mean, yeah. maybe the opening game. Or even preseason, have, we had the hamstring right, issues. Yeah. Right. He just hasn't been right. And it's shown, I mean, to put it bluntly. Yeah. But uh, the other, and then you're playing, I mean, Zion isn't, you know, he's not a seven-footer, but he's definitely someone that can test shots oh, yeah. at the rim. Definitely. He's he's a rim protector. And missing, basically, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're missing both of your best rim protectors. Because Favors is just, he's just not there. Right. And, and our other centers on our roster, like Okafor and, and Melly. And, oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about Hayes. But but I'm mainly the ones who are getting a lot of minutes, but Melly and Okafor, they're not known for their defensive prowess or you know their ability to be an You're imposing force inside. Yeah, I mean that to put it to put it kindly here. And then you know Jackson Hayes, you know we could certainly discuss him. He played. Uh, he had well. He had the breakout game against the Warriors, and it, some of it was in garbage time. But he was very efficient. I think it was eight for ten. We talked a little bit about it on our last podcast with Pelichet and. But this week, it has not. He has not been able to parlay that into not only significant playing time. Now he is part of the rotation now, which is more than I would say the first three games. But he's only. I would. I would estimate that he's only getting about seven minutes a game, and he did not look very good yesterday against Brooklyn. He looked uh, kind of like a fish out of water there. No, I mean he did not look good at all. But this is something we knew going in. Jackson Hayes is far was far from an NBA ready prospect. Yeah, he's raw. He's he's raw. He's all potential. He's freakishly athletic. We all saw that in yeah. like you talked about the Golden State game and in the preseason. But he needs to learn how to play defense. And in in the NBA, he played 16 minutes last night, I believe. Yeah. And he fouled out. Now, yeah. I'm no math major, but that's a foul every 2.6 minutes. That's not very good. Yeah, and he's just, not. a lot of the time, he just looked absolutely clueless out there. And again, I'm not trying to dog Jackson Hayes. This is just, it is what it is with him. Right now. We knew this right. going in. He right, right, right now. Upside, and we can both talk about that. But some players do struggle early in their careers with foul trouble, like your Mitchell Robertsons and your even Wendell Carter last year. And, and a Jaron Jackson yeah, Jr., exactly. someone like that. Yeah, they, some players do struggle with fouls. And over time, they either get it or they don't. And like we're, see, we're still seeing those players we mentioned struggle with fouls. I think Carter's doing a little bit better of a job. And I would even say Mitchell Robertson is this year. But Jaron Jackson is still struggling He's with fouls. Still- and yes. um, so the hope is that over time, maybe he will you know, improve defensively. It's about knowledge. It's about awareness. I think personally it, it's a little bit physical too with Jackson Hayes. I think he put, needs to put on a little bit of size. Um, I think he's a, Certainly. Little, yeah, a little lanky at this point. Although you could make the argument uh, that Brandon Ingram needed to as well. But that, he, that's why the Kevin Durant comparison is kind of interesting with him. Not, not to backtrack on convos here is that – Durant is also just extremely lanky and like you would see him other and other than his height if you just saw him you would just not think he's you know uh, such a great basketball player uh just because he's right. so small uh from a from a muscular standpoint but you know that's not necessary to be a great scorer I mean obviously it, it's really not um 
and I think Ingram, no. I want to say this one more point. Uh, we've gone away from Ingram, but do you think that Brandon Ingram, I was thinking about this today, do you think that Brandon Ingram would be a candidate for most improved player if the Pelicans obviously you know, were in contention? I know wins have a lot to do with that kind of award. Uh, do you think he would be in that contention there? I don't see why not. Yeah. I do not have his 2018-19 numbers in front of me, but I am pretty sure that he wasn't averaging 26 points a game then. Right. And he wasn't, you know, stuffing the stat sheet like he is now. He's averaging a block. And I think it's pretty close to five and or seven and five or seven yeah. and four. Yeah, he's definitely so, have to pick up the rebound slack now that Zion's not there. And, uh, and and let's get positive for a second. The guy who's really picking up the rebounds like Josh Hart, right? I mean, Josh Hart yes. has been everywhere on the boards. He, I think he had one bad game this year where he was kind of a non-factor. But every other game, I, I just love his hustle. And I, I just love seeing a guy who's right. been – he doesn't care that we're one and six. I mean, he is – he is going no, after he is, every single rebound, and, and he's jumping high to get them too. They're not just like landing in his lap like he's some kind of like you know DeAndre Jordan. You know he is aggressively targeting these rebounds. He is, and like we talked about, we both think Brandon Ingram is the best player in the Davis trade. I think Josh Hart's my favorite one. Yeah, because oh, yeah. he just he's all over the place, not just on the boards. He's all over the place. I mean, granted, he gambles sometimes. He gives up some layups, but I mean. He's getting steals. He's getting runouts. He plays well. He doesn't try to do too much most of the time, yeah. which is something we can't say about Naw Nikhil Alexander Walker. Right. But we'll get to him, I'm sure, in a minute. But Josh Hart has really impressed me because last year his numbers were not good at all. Uh, I don't know which the excuse would be. Maybe it's LeBron James, but I think the main reason for his numbers was he wasn't healthy he had nagging injuries all year and now we're starting to see you know the real josh hart that we saw from two years ago yeah and he's also a great locker room presence too and he seems like he's really taken to the new orleans culture which we pelish and i've talked about on last podcast so when you say he's like your favorite player i mean he is a fun guy to root for and he's a fun guy to watch and he's kind of the the definition, like what you want exactly, like prototypical, like role player. You know what I'm saying? Like on your team, like every NBA team has to have somebody guy like that. Right. I mean, he's, he just, he's everywhere. Like we said, there's nothing. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but whenever he is in the game, you know, he's in the game Definitely. and he's just making plays, whether that's his three point shooting, which has been pretty good and his defense you know occasional ball handling and just you know like you said it looks like he's a great teammate so I mean Josh Hart has all the intangibles and I I love his acquisition I was really glad he came back in that Anthony Davis trait yeah definitely and it was like the part that really kind of you know it was kind of the sleeper of the trade I, I should say but but you mentioned Nikhil Alexander-Walker and you, we've also discussed Jackson Hayes. And, and let, me, let me get your take on kind of my theory of what's going on and not why they're struggling, but kind of why they're getting so much publicity for struggling. Not that the New Orleans market's ever getting that much publicity, but I mean, of course, among the Pella fans out there and the, and the media covering the Pelicans. Um, I think the problem 
or an unfortunate circumstance that's happened with both Jackson Hayes and Nikhil is that you have these guys who were drafted uh, after Zion. So they're already in the shadows, right? Which is good. Like, that's where they should be. They, they, are, they are raw projects, okay? And everybody, all the Pelicans kind of are out there, even the intelligent ones, are kind of expecting, hey, you know, these guys are going to take some time before they really, you know, not only maybe even crack the rotation, but, you know, actually start. I mean, we're looking at like two or three years, right? I mean, I think that was the fair assumption for both Hayes and Nikhil Alexander Walker, considering how deep our bench was. And what happened was that they just exploded during the summer league and in preseason. And unfortunately, it's kind of like, you know, the opposite of a blessing in disguise. It's kind of like a, 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 something that looks good, but it actually ends up being their curse because now all of the Pelicans get really excited for the team. Okay, and this is pre-Zion injury, of course. Everyone's excited for the team and everybody's thinking about Zion, of course, but now they're seeing Jackson Hayes dominate in the summer league, dominate in the preseason. They're seeing all these great athletic plays we alluded to earlier. And then they're seeing, of course, Nikhil tear it up in the summer league and in preseason, really. And now their expectations for these guys have not only like totally flip-flop from when we drafted them for, you know, meaningless perform performances that looked good on, on paper, but in, in essence were meaningless. But now it almost like is their curse because the opposite has taken place. Now they're actually doing exactly what we expected them to when we drafted them, right? Like, no, they really are. I mean, Jackson Hayes came in, he showed flashes, but he also showed that he was an extreme liability, and he showed that if he's playing a lot, we probably, you know, our season's in the tank, right? I mean, that's what we expected going in. And then Nikhil Alexander-Walker, we knew that he was a very aggressive player and that when he was on the court, he was going to take shots. He was going to, uh, you know, make some uh, risky passes, go for some steals. And, you know, now he, you know, he's not hitting the shots, of course, but now he, they are doing just that, like just what we expected when we drafted them. But everybody is so upset, right, about them saying right. that, oh, now they're a huge bust. And not that pe I don't think people are calling them a bust, but they're just so disappointed in their play. And I guess my theory here, just to sum it up, is that their summer league and preseason dominance really became unfortunate for their outlook now. Yeah, I mean, they definitely they gave Pelicans fans a glimpse of what can happen in the future. Right. But right when they were drafted, I let me put this on the record, I loved both of them when we drafted them. That's who I wanted if we kept both of those picks we got from Atlanta. Yeah. But Hayes honestly, he can use some time in the G League. I mean, that's where I think he he should be to start the year. He should not be in the rotation, but unfortunately, there's some injuries and right. some ineffectiveness that we're dealing with, and he's got to be thrust in there. And he's playing with good energy. It's just he needs some coaching um, on you know how to deal with NBA athletes and defense. He's got to move his feet when uh, when he's getting you know drove on. It's just simple stuff like that that you take for granted in these you know established veteran you know tall like like a DeAndre Jordan. You take it you take it for granted that. Right. You know, the fundamentals need to be established before yeah. you can just throw this 19-year-old into on the court with these grown men. 
and it's just it's really showed. And Nikhil, I mean, it's it's obvious he's got the green light. No one's saying don't shoot it because he's just jacking up shots. And like you said, in the preseason they're dropping, but now all of a sudden it looks like he's got a little, you know, a, a piece of glass over the rim. Nothing's going down for him. Yeah. So I mean, it's. It's just a matter of time. There's no need to freak out. There's, I mean, they're only disappointing because we saw the preseason and what can happen. If you could just block out the preseason for what it is, yeah, nobody would be talking about them. Nobody would right. Be talking this about would be a non-issue except for the fact that Jackson did not look good last game, and yeah. like we've talked about, that's to be expected. Yeah, I think that the main takeaways from last game was or against Brooklyn, other than, of course, Brandon Ingram's ex- excellence here. But the main liabilities actually seem to be inside with Okafor and Jackson Hayes. I know Okafor has had a couple of good games in the last week, uh, but he did not look good on Monday night. And it just really makes me want Derek Favors more to get back to where he was last season, where he's been the last couple of seasons, really, Uh, I know he's been kind of under Rudy Gobert's shadow, but we've all known that he has potential. And he, you know, he's always been a great per 36-minute guy. We know that he has the ability to do this, but I think this hamstring injury that he's... Hamstring, knee, both of them. Yeah, of course, the knee soreness now. Right. But I think the hamstring injury allowed him, or sorry, not allowed him, did not allow him to get in shape for what ended up being like one of the fastest paced teams. I don't think he's in shape and I don't think that, well, I wouldn't say he had the ability to run the court in Utah. I mean, he didn't do it that often because Utah is a pretty slow, slow traditional team, yeah. but he had the ability to do so. I don't think he has that ability right now, whether, whether it's knee soreness, whether it's hamstring, uh, you know, still some stiff stiffness there. Uh, I think it's also just because he's not in shape enough because of the hamstring uh, and the Pelicans are just so fast. I mean, what did he play, like eight minutes yesterday? Right, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. If he could, if he can play, he would have played more yesterday. Right, especially because, because our, they damn sure needed him. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. I, mean, I didn't even talk about, yeah, I didn't even talk about Jaleel Okafor. Yeah. He was by far the biggest disappointment watching that game. It looked like he was wearing cinder blocks for shoes. I mean, his effort wasn't there. It was just Jared Allen was abusing him, and there was nothing Jaleel was doing offensively, defensively, at the free throw line. It was his game yesterday was an absolute dumpster fire, (laughs) and that's why Jackson Hayes got in the game as much as he did. And it's, it's unfortunate. I like Ja, but we've he's he's got to play better than what he played than what he showed yesterday right. it was it was truly difficult to watch yeah and we saw the glimpses of it during the denver nuggets game right i mean that was absolutely the game where uh job played really well he did a great job on uh Jokic. uh Jokic was held to 13 6 and 6 and he barely realized he was on the floor yeah and that's really hard to say with Jokic because he's a I would say he's the best center in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, all he's the, certainly all a top center. 10 overall player in the NBA for sure. 
And I mean, he had probably, I think that's going to end up being in this 82 game season. I think that's going to end up being one of his worst, at least statistical games of the entire year. And you know that, I mean, Okafor was on him and, and Okafor played really well. And he had 26 points in that game. He had, uh, I think five boards and one assist, two steals and a block. He was putting up peripheral numbers there. And Okafor was also bringing a lot of energy. And that was the one game that the Pelicans were able to win. Now, now, if we want to discuss that Denver game real quick, I know that there were other reasons we won the game. I know that obviously Ingram was his usual self. He had 25-5-3. Frank Jackson got hot that game. He uh, had four threes in that game. Holiday might have been his best game of the season. Unfortunately, me saying this, I hate saying this, but his best game might have been 19-9. and nine. I mean, sorry. 19 and 7 from a statistical standpoint offensively. He did have eight, uh, sorry, seven assists and two steals. Lonzo had eight assists that game. Hayes only played five minutes. Nall only played 12 minutes. Uh, Favors did not play. Uh, Hart and Reddick, that was the game that Hart was quiet. Uh, Patrick, what in that game, now that I'm recapping it for you, what in that game was different? Why were the Pelicans able to kind of convincingly beat Denver, who, by the way, is you know an obvious playoff contender. And right, I think the they're playoff. a top four seed yeah. in the West. What was different that I mean, game? Uh, that was the game, why, which we're going to get to in a minute, where I think you don't panic. There's no panic when you go out and you beat a Denver team pretty handily. I mean, I think the final score was like 124 to 103, something like that. But, I mean, you beat them by almost 20, if not 20 points, and they're a top-four team in the Western Conference. And I just, like we talked about, Jaleel played very well. That was one factor in why we were able to take the W in that game. And we shot 53% as a team and 45% from three. We also out-rebounded them 48-43 to and had 37 fast-break points. That is where this team is going to win or lose games. You've got to out-rebound teams because when you usually think of offense, you don't think of defensive rebounding as starting that, but with the way the Pelicans play, the run and gun, if you can get a quick rebound and then the outlet pass or a rebound by a guard like Hart, Lonzo, someone, or Drew – it, it quick starts the offense, right. and that happened a lot in that Denver game. I mean, the fast break points were high, and just that's obvious that we're getting shots at the rim if we shot 53% as a team. Yeah, the Pelicans I mean, were are actually averaging 42 rebounds per game. It's tw- ranked 21st in the league out of obviously 30 teams. So, yeah, the rebound rate's not great. Obviously, Zion Williamson's going to play a role there. I'm Absolutely. Just, it was great watching that Denver game because we really needed it after an 0-4 start. But unfortunately, we weren't able to parlay that into any success. We went and kind of put up a stinker against the Oklahoma City Thunder, which was... That was disappointing. Yeah, it was a I pretty thought boring game. That was, I thought that was a game that we not only could have won, but should have won, just looking at the matchups on paper. Yeah, Steven Adams was and, out that game. Steven Adams was out. I mean, they're still getting used to uh, uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. They're yeah, still getting used to Chris, Chris Paul, Paul being back there. Right. Too. They kind of got like a right. three-guard combo there. Right, and I thought that would have been, I mean, no game in the NBA 
is you know a pencil and a W. Right. I mean, that's just not the case. Yeah, just but, ask I mean, Denver, I think, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I think I thought we had a great chance to win that game, but there's no Ingram. That was the game Ingram went out 13 minutes in. True. Or 13, he played 13 minutes. And then you didn't have favors as well. Yeah. And we scored a whopping 18 points in the fourth quarter. It's yeah. not very good, Nick. So Alvin, it's not very yeah. good. So Alvin Gentry actually had a, an interesting quote about that. Now, this was actually after the Brooklyn game. But I think mm-hmm. the, one of the reasons that he – this quote seemed like it was premeditated, right? You know how some coaches – know that a problem's going on and you know they're not just ranting about one specific game they're trying to kind of send a message i think this was one of the quotes now he said it after the brooklyn game on monday but here's the quote and i'll let you decide if you kind of agree with me there he said uh gentry said we decided to try and play 20 minutes of a 48 minute game that doesn't work out at least it hasn't in the 31 years that i've been in the nba you have to have the same effort throughout the game you can't spot a team 20 points on their home court. Now, it sounds like it's just talking about the Brooklyn game, but it really applies to uh, several other games, I think. So I, I think that that quote was kind of premeditated. I agree with you, but at the same time, I mean, it. I think it applies to both games. Yeah. The Oklahoma City and the Brooklyn game. Yeah, that's game, what I'm saying. Yeah, you're just looking at the Brooklyn game, and I'm sitting here looking at the time left in the second quarter. I believe it was right at the start of the second quarter. We didn't score a point, not a field goal. We didn't score a point for, I think it was three minutes or four minutes of game time. Now, that is, you just can't let that happen, and that's what Gentry is talking about. I mean, I understand basketball is a game of runs. Yeah. But let's hope that it's like a you know a fifteen to five run, not a, not like don't put up a goose egg like right out of the halftime break or right out of the a timeout. It's like what are you doing? Yeah. Like how do you not score anything for that extended amount of time playing the way that you do? Yeah, who were the, I mean? I was, was just the watching the other day when the Lakers outscored. They went on some ridiculous run in the, uh, the I think it was against the Memphis Grizzlies where they went on like a. I, I want to say it was a 30-2 to two run, which was insane. <laughs> right. And not that the Pelicans are doing that, but they have had their uh, it's, their spans where I, I'm thinking about the Toronto game and the first game of the season yes, even. Because I keep going back to that game because, yeah, it was on national TV. We've had a couple of games like that. But I keep going back to that game because it actually seems like this perfect microcosm of exactly what's ended up playing out this season where we've had a chance to win – a lot of these games late, but couldn't close. We allowed uh, a crap ton of points uh, from the interior defense. Right. You know, couldn't stop the stars like Siakam and uh, I wouldn't call Fred Van Vliet a star, but couldn't stop him driving to the basket. Uh, a lot of the things that happened in that game are really kind of seeing themselves out in these other games. And we started that third quarter in that game uh, really cold. And it actually allowed mm-hmm. the uh, Brandon Ingram was the only reason. I think he might have been the only player to score in that quarter. At least it seemed like it. He was the only reason that we were able to keep that game close after the third quarter because, uh, you know, we were really cold at that point. He's really been the only reason we've been able to keep any game close, if we're being honest. Yeah. I mean, but but yes, that I agree with you. The opening game against Toronto and this past game against Brooklyn. Yeah, those were the you don't key need to points. watch. Yeah. You don't need to watch any other game. 
to figure out what's going on. That's a great point. Now, if you, they're kind of, I mean, that's like the it. turning point, but definitely like, like very crucial games that just kind of, uh, you know, kind of showed our true colors, I guess. And yeah, I know our true colors aren't really true until we get favors healthy, until we get Zion Williamson back, obviously. But right now, what we have to deal with right now, those games do stick out as kind of, uh, you know, certainly, certainly the right. examples here. And I want to, I want to give another quote here. This is from mm-hmm. Josh Hart, and it kind of speaks to the not really panicking, and it kind of speaks to not closing out late games. He said after the Brooklyn game, he said, "We could very easily be five and one, very easily. It's a possession here, and." there that we've taken off and that we can't take off at the end of the day it's about playing hard but also about having attention to detail and focus level that we're not having right now and i know the last part of that quote is just kind of boilerplate language so you know your typical i don't want to call it coach speak because it's a player speaking but we'll call it player speak where oh yeah we gotta give attention to detail we have to focus up it doesn't really provide much insight there but i thought the interesting part of this quote was uh, we could really easily be five and one, very easily, um, and it's good. I think that the Pelicans believe that. Right, and I mean, I I kind of believe them too. It's just, it's just what happens when you have a young team. Yeah. Let me scroll back in my notes here. I think yeah, Brandon Ingram is twenty two, Lonzo is twenty two, Jaws twenty four. Nikhil is 21. Zion hasn't played, but he's 19. I said, I'm sorry, Josh 23. Josh Hart is 24. And Hayes is 19. It's a really young team. And Frank Jackson is 21. Yeah. So this is a really young team, and that's what's going to happen when you have young teams. You just They're made just, me feel so old just now. Like the average right, age of all those key players that we have that you mentioned is probably like around 21 or 22. That's like right. seven or eight years uh, younger than we are. Oh, man. Oh, I know. And Drew is like Drew is the old vet on the team, and he's 29. He's right, our age. Yeah. So, I mean, it just speaks to, and J.J. Redick is, I guess if you want to call him the grandpa on the team, he's only 35. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's a really young team, and it's great that they're getting these learning experiences. I mean, maybe they can learn to close out the games, but at some point, it's going to get to wear on them, where it's like, all right, you know, I, I understand that we're a young team, but we've got to win some of these games. And you just don't want it to get, you know, tear at their mentality like that. So you got to, you know, maybe in these next few games, you've got to step up and win some of these one possession games or close out a game. Right. It's it's kind of odd to debate this, but it kind of seems like at this point in the season, you know how we loved watching the Denver game and it was kind of a blowout. Honestly, I thought even the score didn't really indicate how much the Pelicans really dominated Denver in that game. But at this point, I'd almost rather a close win, like to see if we can do it. You know what I'm saying? I'd almost rather a close win than like, you know, a game where we play, I don't know, let's just say, who do we have next? The Raptors? Uh, would be nice to kill the Raptors. the Raptors. But but I'd almost rather, <laughs> it, wouldn't it be really nice if, you know, the Raptors, who we took into overtime in our season opener, and they were able to use their veteran experience and just kind of, you know, make plays when it counted, wouldn't it be nice if we were able to learn from that? I think that it'd be so sweet poetic justice if we were able to, beat the Raptors in overtime, right? Like, that would be awesome. Uh, I think that would pump up a lot of fans. 
And we've got opportunities to do it in the next five games. The next five games, uh, this is not the order, so but it's the Raptors, okay. Rockets, Hornets, Clippers, and Heat. Four of those teams are very good. Yeah, the Hornets. I mean, you you would hope we could beat. You yeah. would think we could beat. It is in Charlotte, but, and it is on a back to back on Saturday. However, true, like it's the second but, part of a back to back. Right. But yeah, the, I, gosh, I just hate hearing our schedule because every pretty much every game in the Western Conference is like, oh yeah, they're good. Oh yeah, they're really good. Oh yeah. No, yeah, it really it really doesn't let up, and so you've just got to just. Build the confidence, like you said. Maybe beat Toronto in overtime, or hell, just beat them. Period. Just right. get the confidence up a little bit, because you know, after a while of losing these, I mean, the games don't look that close in the box score. Like the like Brooklyn won by what ten last right. night, but it was much closer than that. I mean, they were within yeah four points with six minutes left, something like that. So I mean, you've just got to find a way with this young team to close out some of these games so my last quote here that i really this is probably the most significant quote that i'm going to uh, say here on this on today's podcast episode and it's this one's from alvin gentry again and this one was absolutely premeditated like there's really no debate about it okay he said after the brooklyn game He was asked about Brandon Ingram's success, and he said, I think from an actual playing standpoint, he did everything he could possible to help us win the game. We are still searching for that guy who will step up from a leadership standpoint. Drew is a great leader because he does it by his play on the court. We we still got to have that guy who is verbally going to get in people's faces. We're still searching for that. Okay, that, the reason I know that that was premeditated is because it did not answer the question at all. He was asked about Brandon Ingram's (laughs) success, and he started out by talking about Brandon Ingram's success, like, oh, he did everything possible to win the game. But the only thing he could think about is how he could kind of massage and tweak that quote to talk about how we need more vocal leaders. And that seems like that is the thing that's really killing the Pelicans and the main reason probably in Gentry's perspective at least of why we can't close out these games yes we are a young team yes uh, all these other teams have a lot more experience not only experience in terms of NBA experience but also experience playing together yes we are kind of a new team for lack of better words however Gentry seems to think that the biggest problem is that we need despite us being a new team we need a guy who's going to be a vocal leader. Now, Drew, nothing wrong with him. Nothing wrong with leading by example. Every team has to have players leading by example, right? Uh, you know, there are plenty of players on the Saints who lead by example and do their jobs, and they're just great leaders on the team. But you have to have kind of that that quarterback for lack of better words. And I don't even Mm -hmm. want to call him a quarterback because it actually really doesn't have to be a quarterback. It could be somebody. It can be anybody. Like a J.J. Just give me somebody. Yeah, it could be somebody who's a veteran. It has to be a veteran, I'm sure. Although I kind of want, I don't know if he's trying to maybe, I, I don't think he was thinking about Zion when he said it. 
but maybe Zion needs to be that guy sooner than later when he comes back, of course. It's kind of hard to get in people's faces right now when you haven't played a, a, right. a possession in, in an NBA game. But when he comes back, uh, you know, maybe Zion needs to I, – I, I hate to put more on his plate, right, Patrick, because I know that mm-hmm. David Griffin's done everything possible, even talking Drew up as an MVP candidate, uh, to everything possible to kind of – Deflect take, from Zion. Yeah, take the right. pressure off Zion Williamson, of course. But it's look, you know we're one and six now, right? We can't close out games. I know he's going to help us on the court, but it really looks like Alvin Gentry. I, I don't see it as a call out to Drew. I see it kind of as a saying, "Hey, Drew is what he is, and we're not going to change that. We like Drew." But it's kind of definitely a call out for somebody to right and just yeah and just think about the Pelicans over the years. When's the last time we've had that guy? Yeah, damn it sure wasn't, wasn't Anthony, Anthony Davis. Davis. Right. Yeah, um, it's the last one that I would say would maybe be David West or right. Chris Paul. Yeah, and that's that's a long time ago. I mean, we Chris Paul certainly not that. in uh, to to go with a strict interpretation of this quote here. He's certainly not afraid who quote unquote verbally is going to get in people's faces. So yeah, right, right. I mean, but. But at the same time, I saw the quote. I didn't love the context of it because he said it when he was talking about Ingram. That was an Ingram question, and that's where the quote came out. But if you watch that game, at the end of the game, Jackson Hayes did one of his many dumb fouls in that game, and Brandon Ingram went over there, consoled Hayes, who was obviously not happy with the call, and probably had no idea what he did wrong, which is, again, to be <laughs> expected. Scary. I'm not trying to be mean to Jackson. Yeah. It's just, but he, you told, you saw Brandon Ingram get up in Jackson's face, not not aggressive, and just say, hey, man, you got to. I think he said, just grab it. Just grab the ball. And so you see that Ingram is doing that. I would just like it. I, I don't know. I, I agree with the quote, but I didn't agree with the question that he put the quote with. Yeah. Because it was directed at Ingram when I don't think, I think Ingram was being the most vocal leader out there. Oh, so you kind of take this as him talking about Ingram, maybe kind of, maybe not passive aggressively, maybe that's too strong of a word, even though it's supposed to be passive, but maybe, maybe kind of implying that Ingram should have been, you took that to mean that Ingram, that he was kind of implying that maybe Ingram should do it because he's playing so well. Maybe, but I, that's what I'm saying. I don't understand why he said the quote. I, I understand the quote, and I completely agree yeah, with him. It's hard not to but agree. I don't understand why he said it when he was asked about Ingram's success. That's a good point. When I he, didn't actually even consider the idea that he could have been. I, and again, this is not a call out. It's certainly not a call out. Right. It's, Alvin, no, no, when no, Alvin no absolutely wants not. To call somebody out. He's gonna do oh, it. You'll he, know. He, you'll know. Uh, so, ironically, you know, he's kind of the vocal leader here. But no, and no, right. not the, jokes aside, though. He, you know, when he wants to call someone out, he will. And I, I never even considered that he kind of maybe might have been implying for Ingram because it was an Ingram question. I actually took it to just. I was just considering that he wanted to say it so badly that he was just going to do it. Like when I keep saying the word premeditated, like I mean like he wanted to reveal his thoughts right. so badly that he was just kind of waiting for the first semi-opening. And it wasn't even really an opening, honestly, but he just had to like get it off his chest. But you're right. I actually, it could be that maybe there might have been an Ingram implication there. Maybe he 
because Ingram's playing so well. Uh, right, and I don't yeah. think he was calling out Ingram. No, I just think out. it maybe would have been, if anything, maybe given Ingram the permission to like, hey, go get in this guy's face and don't, you know, he's 19 years old, like don't hurt him, like don't go crazy on him. But I mean, at the same time, try to get him in line and just help him get better next time. And that's what Ingram did. And maybe that was just a quote Gentry threw out there to kind of light the fire under Ingram and tell him, you know, like, we don't really have any of those vocal leaders. Right. If you can do it, do it. Yeah. I mean, the, so, the context of the quote, if you're right, if you're right that it does involve Ingram, which you very well could be. I mean, I didn't even consider that aspect. But if you're right that it involves Ingram, the 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 kind of underlying context here is that, hey, Brandon, we, you know, this isn't a call out, but just so you know, you've been dominating on the court and we're still one and six, right? I mean, that's kind of the context here is that he's saying maybe if, you know, if you're able to, because you're dominating, people are looking up to you, maybe now's a good time to kind of transfer some of that energy you bring on the court to kind of off the court and, you know, during timeouts and in the locker room and that kind of stuff, because despite how incredibly you've been playing, uh, we're still one and six. <laughs> right. I, 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 that's what I took it as is maybe, like I said earlier, just a little kind of look at it as, as a permission slip from professor Gentry there. Yeah. Like just telling G- Ingram that, you know, you can, you can be the leader here. Yeah. We need one. And we love so. that Gentry is, you know, very vocal. He states his opinions. He's not afraid to, you know, just have your basic coach speak. I mean, he's very open and honest. Um, what is this, The Bachelor? I can't believe I just said that. But anyway, uh, no, he's, he's, very, he's very honest here and candid. I think that's a great word for it. I think the last thing we should talk about here is my biggest fear for the Pelicans right now. Now, now mm-hmm. Michael Pelichet said that when he was doing his schedule analytics, he said that, yes, the Pelicans do have a much tougher first half of the season than the second half. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not letting up anytime soon. But no, it's it, not. But, but and arguably, because we play in the West, it's never letting up. But in terms of relatively speaking, it lets up a little, you know, about halfway through the season from an analytical perspective, at least in terms of the Vegas lines going into the season. Um, now, my fear is that because of we're playing all these tough teams right now, it's it's the most brutal part of our schedule, and because we have these injuries. We have Derek Favors. We haven't even talked about how Lonzo Ball forgot how to walk a couple of times yesterday. And Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I thought it was his ankle because he's got that ankle history. He does. But thank God it was only a cramp. Say, see, you so. say thank God. I actually I'm, – I'm, I'm, I'm known – to be, uh, you know, we play fantasy football together. You know me. I am a known injury pessimist. I always assume the worst. And oh, I think absolutely. that he says it's cramps. I fear that, uh, and this isn't even my big fear that I'm about to get to, but I also, <laughs> just in terms of this, I fear that this is a recurring ankle problem. And I think cramps were just a kind of a mirage there or a smoke screen. Because the reason I think that is because there was no mention of cramps when he tweaked his ankle in the what game was that that he tweaked his ankle? He he, he did return. I think it was OKC where he tweaked his ankle and he did return. 
But I think that his ankles, I don't want to call them weak, but I don't know. I've, I've read rumors. I think that there might be some things wrong with his ankles, and I think cramping might be just uh, a disguise. I, yeah, I've seen those same rumors right. as you, and I, but I did look, at, while the Pelicans are still playing on against the Nets, I looked on the sideline to see what Lonzo was doing. And it he looked like did cramps. not go to the locker room. He was lied down. He had on his back. He had the trainer stretching him, and he's chugging a water at the same time. So, so it yeah, looked like I mean, cramps. All he needs to do is have a banana, and he's got the whole thing. No, no, yeah, I, <laughs> no, but I get what you're saying too because I went down one of these barstool sports, you know, rabbit holes, <laughs> and I saw a report that Lonzo Ball, and I, it might have even been on Josh Hart's podcast. But it um, that he said his the big baller brand those shoes would literally rip apart in a quarter of play, and he would have to change shoes every quarter so that his ankles basically wouldn't explode. Yeah. So and that since he changed the shoes, that he's been better. So he's been better. I but I've I've right. The, the, I don't know if he's cured, but he's been yeah, better. That's the thing because I'm wondering if it's more of a chronic issue. Maybe he should have had surgery back in the day and he didn't, and or maybe he should have rested when it happened and he didn't. And it's just one of those things. Maybe some nights, uh, some nights they're just weaker than others. Because gosh, it really, you know, I've had calf cramps. I've had cramps. Uh, you know, I played soccer in high school, so I've done a fair share of cramps. I will say this: I've never had a real ankle injury, so I can't. I can only talk about half of this here. And I know you have had plenty of ankle injuries, so we kind of yes. hit the whole picture here. So maybe, but I, when I've had cramps on my calf, I've never kind of. It almost looks like he twisted his ankle twice. I, I thought it was a, a weird-looking sequence. But if, like you're saying, he was actually stretching his calf and, every, and and doing all that kind of stuff, then we'll have to go with the evidence that was presented on the court, right? Um, but well, there's yeah. like you said though. There's also the evidence he definitely rolled his ankle. Yeah, on the dribble, he definitely twice, did it. I would say it's just a matter of. Well, I think the first one. When I saw it, I, I looked like a little hesitation move, an attempted hesitation okay. move. And then the second one, he actually rolled it. Yeah. it. Almost, he was trying to do the hezzy again, and he rolled it. When you, That's, that was just me looking at it live. Yeah, when you look at, like, the, the gif of it, uh, it almost looks like it reminded me of, you know, I'm a big Space Jam fan. It reminded me of right <laughs> when the players started losing their powers. And like he's like walking down the court with the yeah. ball, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, he just like can't even walk anymore with the ball. It kind of reminded me of Space Jam there. But it is what it looked like. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I all right. Let's let's go. We got to wrap it up on that. I, I was talking about my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that mm-hmm. with the uh, the rough schedule and with all the injuries, you know, potentially uh, we're not going to throw Lonzo into the mix yet. But we'll say favors. We'll say Zion, of course. Um, I'm worried that by the time Zion gets back, and of course I'm playing injury pessimist here too, which I think it's going to be closer to 2020. I think it's going to be around January 1st, 2020, as opposed to the timeline, which indicates it should be sometime in mid- You're talking about Zion's yeah, Zion timeline? In mid-December. Yeah, okay. um, the timeline should be mid-December, somewhere around there. I think it's going to be they're going to be really cautious with it. But my biggest fear is that by the time that Zion comes back, that the Pelicans, if it goes at this rate, 
the season will be just kind of washed and it will be more as a developmental thing and we're not even going to try to really push for the playoffs. I'm not saying we're going to sit Zion because he needs to develop too. I'm saying that I'm just worried because the expectations here and the goal at least was to be that eighth or seventh seed of the playoffs. And I'm worried that if we don't start winning some games soon, at least before Zion comes back, I'm worried that the Pelicans are going to have a different perspective and outlook on this season. What are your thoughts? So, if I were to give the panic meter right now on a 1 to 10 scale, yeah, let's do it. and out looking on the future, I would put it at about a 3. Okay. And that's a little high for me. Okay. So, so you're fairly optimistic. I'm really Yeah, I'm really not concerned because we weren't winning the Larry O'Brien this year. It wasn't happening. I mean, I don't care what, you know, these fans think, it's not it wasn't going to happen. And in my view, the seven or eight seed would have just been gravy. Yeah. I want to see these players develop, play together, and so that not only so they can get better, but so that the Pelicans can know what to do moving forward. Because there was talk before the season started that, oh, do we really want to pay Brandon Ingram, blah, blah, blah. Now that's not even a question. Yeah, we're learning. Now Now it's just how much. So it's... It's to me, it's more of just getting these rotations set to be and just more consistency in the rotations because you're seeing now Naw is not getting as many minutes. You saw Etwan check into the game, and by the way, if you want to know if something's going very badly, when Etwan Moore gets in the game, that's when you know that the game has lost, has gone out of control. Yeah, you're looking because Etwan Moore, point. yeah, he had only played. I think 12 total minutes, and it was in one game the whole season right. up until last night, which, by the way, I don't think should happen. I think if you're actually trying to win games now, which obviously you are, Etwan Moore should be in that rotation. He's a veteran. You know he can hit shots. And maybe further down the road, all of his minutes go to Nikhil Alexander-Walker. But as Nikhil has shown... It's not his time yet. He He's missing a lot of shots. He's just looking a little out of sync. And obviously the only way to work through that is to play through it and get more minutes. But I just think if you're trying to win games, then I think Etwan Moore needs to play more minutes. The, and if not, I hope they do him a solid and trade him. <laughs> not now. I'm not saying now. I'm saying at the deadline right. may, or closer to the deadline. Because, I mean, Etwan has done so much for this team and I just kind of feel bad for him that he's the odd man out, out of Hart, yeah. Jackson, all, the, all of them. He is. I, I do so. think he's going to be a certainly a candidate during the trade deadline. I think a couple of teams are going to be interested who need kind of a three-point specialist too. Um, yeah, Etwan Moore, definitely. I, I wouldn't put his playing time more than maybe 15 minutes a game, but I do think I wouldn't that, either, yeah, but yeah, I, do think I think he, he needs some. Um, and I think Lonzo needs more minutes if he can handle it. (laughs) And I think he needs to be out there because he is, he's a, from what I've seen, he's a more athletic Rajon Rondo and Rondo was great with us. Granted that was with AD and Boogie, but he was still, that's the kind of point guard. He, he doesn't, he doesn't want to score or not that he doesn't want to. That's not his MO. I mean, his MO is to make the team play better but having said that, his shot is night and day from what it was last year. 
I mean, and he's yeah. letting it go. Like yesterday, he let him go without hesitation, and I think one of them was two or three feet behind the line, and he's making them. So, I mean, I like what Lonzo's bringing to the table. I think the offense flows better when he's in the game. And I remember the Toronto, the opening game of the season, Lonzo was playing pretty well the first half. And then all of a sudden, right. Gentry decided, you know, you're not going in the game. Is it? So, overall, I just think it's just a, it's a matter of time with the rotations. Yeah. That was going to be the case even when Zion is healthy. But then you get the bomb dropped on you. What was it? Two or three days before the regular season, right? That he's out, and he did not. I mean, you play that in just... summer league, and he did not play in preseason. And Derek Favors also missed a lot of those games. So it is almost like we're treating this regular season. This is the preseason. As the preseason. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. It's just unfortunate that that happened, but you got to play with the cards you dealt. Right. And they're just they're scrambling, but it was always going to take time with these rotations because, like you said, I mean, I wouldn't consider. Uh, each, obviously, each one's not playing heavy minutes. I wouldn't consider Frank playing heavy minutes. I wouldn't even consider Ja playing heavy minutes. The only other guy that was on this team last year would be Drew. The only guy that's logging heavy minutes. So that's going to that's gonna take time for all those players to mesh. And that was, like I said, it was the case before Zion. And then the Zion injury just exacerbated everything because now you've got to figure out not only who's going to play the four, but who's going to play the three? And it's just because Ingram is now playing the four or the three. And it's just, it's thrown a monkey wrench into Gentry's already fluid plans to start the season. Right. This week, the Pelicans have a rematch against the defending champion Toronto Raptors, who we took to overtime in our season opener. And we've discussed a lot today. Uh, this time it's in New Orleans, though. And that's the first half of a back-to-back as we play the Charlotte Hornets in Charlotte on Saturday. And then on Monday, we play the Rockets at home. I'm, I'm hoping we can win you know, two of three of those games. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's what... But, I mean, I'm banking on Charlotte being one of them. Yeah. Because I just don't see us... I, don't, I mean, I don't see many teams, but I don't see us beating the Raptors and then Rockets. I just, especially without Zion yeah. and potentially with a limited favors. Maybe Russell but, Westbrook will sit out that Rockets game. Right. Maybe. Well, he, yeah, because he sat out yesterday, so we'll see how he's feeling. But, yeah, I think two out of three of those two would be great. I mean, those three, excuse me. And then the next two, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the Heat and the Clippers. Okay. And the Heat are playing. The Heat are playing really well. Very well. They are hot. And unintended. the Clippers are the Clippers, right? So, if we could win three of those five, that's just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I think the, the struggle I would happens take, if we win one of those five, and then all of a sudden we're looking that's, at two yeah. and what are we going to be? We're going to be two and eleven, and that's when it's honestly. I think that's when it's time to that people will start talking about my greatest beer, which we just talked about. So, Oh, I think people week. will. Yeah, people will start talking about it, but I still think that talk is unwarranted. I don't think you can talk about that until you've seen the full, you know, the full game plan yeah. with Zion, with a healthy favors, with a healthy Drew, because Drew missed some games. I think he's healthy now, yeah, but you've got to get all three of those back together because I cannot wait to watch 
Zion and Ingram play together. Yeah, and the other thing you I have think to, that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, and the other thing you have to keep in mind here is that it's not just you know we, we might be let's say we're three and eleven at some point. Okay, let's say we're three and eleven. You know, heaven forbid. But that doesn't mean anything if the eighth seed, which is the goal, if the eighth seed is only, I don't know, I know it's the Western Conference, but if the eighth seed is six and six or something like, or sorry, if we're three and 11, let's say the eight seeds, I don't know, eight and eight. That's why, that's why Michael seven. runs this podcast. Yeah, math, exactly. But I yeah. just gave one of, I gave us 14 <laughs> games and then I gave the eight seed 12 games there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, let's say the uh, eight seed is seven and seven or something like that. Well, then you know, we're not that far back. So it's maybe it's one of these things where all of these teams in the West kind of beat up on each other and it makes that more manageable for a longer, makes that possibility of getting the eighth seed more manageable for a longer period of time. Cause we just have to hold out like not being a rebuilding season until Zion comes back. But right now it's the toughest part of the schedule. It's just hard to do. But I would also just say pump the brakes if you're freaking out about the playoffs in an 82-game season when you're 14 games in. Because right now, aren't the Timberwolves like the five seed in the West? Or five or six seed? Yeah, and they're probably I think they're playing very well. And I don't think... Let's wait for things to go back to the mean and how they're supposed to do. Yeah. Or how they're supposed to go. Because I don't think Minnesota's that good, but their record says otherwise right now. So... I know it's tough. It's not what anyone thought would happen at the beginning of the season. And I know it's just tough to hear, but you got to be patient with them. Yeah. You got to be patient. They're young. It's a whole new team. And Gentry's just trying to get his stuff together in terms of the rotations. Yeah. Hey, thank you for coming on. That's got to wrap up this week's episode. That was an hour and 10 minutes of great content there by Patrick Feast. Thank you so much to the audience for tuning in to the Pelicans cast, the official Pelicans podcast for hoopball.com in flight insight for the sharpest Pella fans out there. As a reminder, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe to our podcast. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes or whatever your podcast provider is. Uh, big thanks again to our guest, Patrick Feast for joining me on the show today. You can follow him on Twitter at Pat Feast. That's F I S S E. I'm at fantasy law guy. See you next week. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.